they say that if they had somebody new to Bloomington, they'd take him to Yonko's Little Zagreb. So I'm new, so whoever that was, please take me. All right, and please, and please pay the whatever it is, $30 a meal or whatever. So I'm not new, actually. I've been there once, twice maybe. Um, hey, a couple things. Uh, it is Father's Day, so uh, uh, just for the sake of doing it, Father, stand up if you're a dad. If you're a dad, stand up. All right, Jeremy's already saying that. Very good, very good. Uh, that's good. Stand, sit down. Uh, one church. Yeah. You know, it, Mother's Day, on Mother's Day, we, you know, some churches give out roses and things like that. I had a friend of mine that on Father's Day, on the way out, they handed fathers, actually all men, a piece of bacon. <laughs> that was their gift. And he said some of the men in the church thought it was the greatest thing ever. So I guess that's what we get for Father's Day is bacon or something like that. So, no, seriously, uh, there's a huge weight uh, and huge joy and privilege God puts on those of us who are fathers and um, have a large influence on our kids and our wives for that matter as well. So um, thanks for what you do as fathers and some of you probably think about your own fathers whether they're dead or alive and you might have mixed feelings about that, about your own father, but in a sense scripture always tells us to honor them and, uh, and so we want to do that, make sure we honor our parents. Even like think about your own parents and make sure you even think about ways you can honor your own father. Um, so uh, another thing I was going to mention too is, um, you know, it's always hard to figure out how to respond. How, how should a church respond? What do we do when it comes to things like, you know, whether it was Columbine or Connecticut or the Denver shooting or now recently the uh, shooting in Charleston? And it's always trying to f- hard to figure out, okay, what do you do? Is it really, um, how do we pray? Do we, you know, is it a spiritual issue? Is it a political issue? Is it just a racial issue? I, I always think anything like that, there's always, there, it's always a spiritual issue when there's murder and death involved. It's always a spiritual issue. And, um, and I think it was amazing. I was listening to a talk show. I was driving back from Chicago the other day. I was listening to a talk show. And the talk show host, and it was not Rush Limbaugh or Sean Hannity. It was somebody else. But they were amazed that at the hearing for this young man's parole, the family members of the, those killed were offering forgiveness to this person. And this, and this talk show host even said, I'm a Christian. I can't figure out how they could say that now. And I thought, if nothing else, the power of the gospel of forgiveness, um, and that doesn't mean we don't want to pray for peace and comfort for those who are left behind, but it's an incredible witness for forgiveness. It reminds me of years ago, I remember there was a situation where some man killed a bunch of Amish children. I just remember that. And the Amish uh, offered this man forgiveness. They gave money to his parents. They told his parents they forgave their son for killing their children. And it was one of those things that kind of blipped on the news for a while, cause forgive, and then it kind of went off. But it's like this talk show host just kept saying, it's amazing, that's amazing they can forgive. So uh, let me take a minute just to pray for those people. Um, God, we, we do pray for those who lost uh, loved ones in that shooting. And... Um, God, thank you for their thank you for their, tes- for their testimony to the supernatural reality of forgiveness that seems irrational to the world around, where everyone else wants to make it an issue of, of hate or politics or race, and as all things those are involved in that. But the real story, perhaps, that where you bring good out of what was evil is that you put in front of people forgiveness. And we have 
we have a hard time forgiving people who have done much, much less painful things to us. So God, I thank you for those individual family members. Not, not only, God, we do ask you for to comfort them and to give them peace in their time of grief and may the Holy Spirit be absolutely real to them. Uh, at the same time, God, pray uh, for, thank you for their strength in offering forgiveness. And even I know one of the family members said to the young man, you need to repent and turn to God. And just pray that he would do that. Pray for all those situations where evil is at the door, and I pray for, we pray for repentance. Um, the enemy is not this young man. The enemy is Satan. Um, people do evil things, and need to, we all need to repent of evil things. Um, so God, I pray that you, like you always do, you always find a way to highlight and spotlight Jesus in all of this. So would you continue to do that in the lives of these family members who'd lost loved ones? And uh, would Jesus, would your name um, be spotlighted through this process? And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Um, one of the things, uh, well, first of all, no PowerPoint today, and it's not because I didn't prepare. It's because I just chose not to today. So if you're wondering why there's no words in the screen, um, that's why. So, uh, and it's not because Tim's not doing his job back there. And it's not because the power didn't work. So, uh, this last week I was in Chicago area and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something with my body that I was doing uh, on Thursday. I was doing this at one point. Okay? Now, it could have been one of two places. Right? I was doing this. All right? Anybody know what was happening Thursday in Chicago? Blackhawk celebration. Two million people into Chicago for a parade and a big celebration at Soldier Field, and the people were going nuts. And I have no doubt I wasn't there. That wasn't, that wasn't what I was at. I have no doubt there were many people that were doing this. Yeah! Some inebriated, some not. All right? But many people doing that. Um, I was actually at a pastor's gathering, and it was a worship time, and I was doing that. And, I, and I'm ex- I'll explain that in a minute. I'm not... This is not going to be a sermon about raising your hands and putting your hands up, but I, I want you to have this image in your mind. Not of me, but this body posture in your mind. Because when I was doing that, something in me clicked, and I felt like God wanted me to take a Polaroid of the moment, if you remember what a Polaroid is. So, kind of a moment of, of, that, of that thing, of that image. And I want to talk about, you know, the last few months I've been doing a series on um, against the odds. What are you doing when your back's against the wall? And that... That's, that series is over, and I was trying to think through what to do next, and I, I have a sense of what we're going to do starting next week, and it's going to be around the idea of, of uh, how does revival happen in the Bible? What, 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 are the, what are the ingredients for that kind of change in people's lives? I don't mean revival like old-time revival. I mean a newness of our lives and maybe of, of a church and even of a community. How does that happen? But today is going to be kind of an uh, in-between transition, but it does fill into the idea of change. Because as I was thinking about that, I, I, I go back to the book of Acts, and I want to talk about just a couple phrases that show up in the book of Acts. And, you know, we say at Exodus, you know, our vision is we want to turn ordinary people into abnormally loving, joyful, and courageous followers of Jesus. You know, we want to be these kind of people. And how do you become that? Well, I, one way is you could work hard on learning how to behave joyfully, lovingly, and courageously. You could figure out what that looks like and try to mimic those behaviors and work hard at it. 
And that's good in a sense, but that's really not what brings about the change we all want. Because the change we all want, and this is why we were in church, is we believe it takes, there's a supernatural element. It's not simply a matter of behavior management and trying harder and learning the right things to say and the wrong things not to say. But we do believe, at its core, Christianity is a supernatural religion. There's a supernatural component. Something has to change in us. So, in the book of Acts, there's two phrases I want to talk about. One shortly, and then the other one's in a longer way. If you know the book of Acts, the book of Acts, so there's the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the stories of the life of Jesus. And some of you may know this, some of you may not, but that's okay. Those are the kind of the accounts, biographies, narratives of the life of Jesus. The book of Acts is, some people call it the Acts of the Apostles. Some call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. But it's, it's the activity of those who were left to start this new thing that, that called the church after Jesus ascended into heaven. So, you know, Peter and James and Paul and all these names start showing up there. The rest of the New Testament, as you may or may not know, is a bunch of letters written to churches helping them understand what it means to follow Jesus. But Acts is another one of those narratives where the story unfolds of the, the days and weeks and years after Jesus left and how this movement that was Jesus and 12 men and then a, a larger, larger entourage, how it exploded into this world-changing revolution that it still is today. That's what the book of Acts is about. The book of Acts starts with an event called Pentecost. Pentecost, penta means 550, and it was essentially a 50, day, 50 days after the celebration of Passover they would celebrate kind of the incoming of the harvest. It was a celebration of what God did when they were released from Egypt, but it was also just a, a, a gathering of the harvest, so Pentecost. So Jews would often gather in Jerusalem for Pentecost, and if you know the story from the book of Acts, Jesus had just ascended. The disciples, and not just the, well, not just the 11, because Judas had already killed himself, but there were followers of Jesus um, gathered together in an upper room. They were praying. Weren't quite sure what was going to happen next, Jesus did tell them, wait until you get the gift that I want to give you. Whereas, you know, th those of us uh, are Americans, which I think most of us are, maybe some of us aren't, but our, our, our philosophy would have been, okay, Jesus started this movement, he died, he rose from the dead, we need to run an arena, we need to have a big event, we need to have, you know, boom, 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 we got to do all this to get the word out there, get billboards get little, you know, blurbs on the internet posts so people can see that, you know, Christianity is real, Jesus is real. Jesus said he didn't give them any strategy other than wait. That was a strategy. And those of us who are kind of driven Americans, like, well, that, that's a strategy? Wait? Yeah, it's a strategy. So they went to this, they're praying and they're waiting because they know they can't move until there's direction. And then something incredible, this supernatural event happens where it says they were a rushing wind, and again, this is one of those things you might think, oh, come on, that sounds a little bit out there. It is out there. The weird meter's on high a little bit, but I, we believe it really happened, and it's probably not as weird as what you might think it was because we all believe the invisible world's real, in a sense. Rushing wind, and it said what looks like tongues of fire, flames of fire rested on these people, and they begin to praise God in languages they had not learned before. And people in Jerusalem, there are tons of people in Jerusalem for the Pentecost gathering and many of them are from other countries and other languages so all of a sudden they hear these blue-collar jewish guys kind of galileans speaking in languages they had never learned praising god in languages they had not learned and it drew a crowd some of the crowd even said they're drunk these guys are drunk it, 
And then one of the disciples said, no, no, it's only like 10 in the morning. We're not drinking in the morning. I mean, then there's, you know, we're not that, they're drunk. No, 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 we're not drunk. But there was obviously they gathered a crowd because there's something going on where it's like these people, something's going on. They're speaking another language. They're praising God in all these languages that we know they've never learned because these guys are all Galileans. They're just like, like what we might say, they're, they're uneducated, blue-collar dudes and women too. And they're, and they're learning, they're speaking these languages. They're praising God in another language. How in the world is that happening? And again, some have said they're drunk. That's why they're acting so ecstatic. And then Peter, if you remember, Peter was kind of the fisherman. Blue, he was the ultimate blue-collar Galilean guy. So he stepped up and he starts speaking to the people, the crowd together. We don't know how big the crowd, but it was probably pretty big. And he basically says to them, can I tell you what's happening? And Peter had no notes because he didn't know it was going to happen. But he said, God had once said, he was referring back to an Old Testament book of Joel that all the Jews there would have known. He said, God had once said, I, and there will be a day where I will pour out my spirit. Say that with me. I will pour out my spirit. That's what Paul Peter said. That's what's happening. God said he would do that. He said he would pour out his spirit. In the Bible in Acts chapter 2, Jesus said, I'll pour it out on the young and the old, young men, young women, old men, un- old women, and the result of the Holy Spirit, the pouring out of the Spirit in them, would be that the, the Bible says what well, it says, they would prophesy. Now, I'll break down that word. It's not as mysterious of a word that it sounds like. Prophesy basically means they will begin to speak on God's behalf. They will hear things from God and begin to speak to others about God. And he even said that some will see visions and they will dream dreams. God will show them things. God will say things to them. They will become a kind of people that have a conversational relationship with God, where God will say things to them, he'll show them things, and then he will send them out to, get to, to bring others and to win others to be friends and followers of Jesus. So that's what happened. Peter said, that's, that's what's happening. God said, I will pour out my spirit. I'm doing this like I'm pouring you know, two milk jugs, whatever. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Um, and you've, you've maybe... A couple years ago, we did a series where I was encouraged to be able to pray for others that Jesus would pour out their spirit, his spirit on them. And if you don't know how to pray for somebody, like, you know, Alan's a friend of mine here in the front row. If I don't know how to pray for Alan, I, I could just say, God, pour out your spirit on Alan. I mean, I, that's a pretty powerful prayer. And you might say, well, wait a minute, God, but he already poured out his spirit. But I, I believe that God is always in the habit of pouring out his spirit on people. And one of my one of my mentors years ago said, you know, we always need more poured into us because we leak. We leak. We always need more. So different theological perspectives would say, no, there's just one pouring, and some say, no, there's two pourings. I think the Bible is pretty clear that it's, it's a perpetual thing of it's kind of like gas in your car. You don't just fill up your gas in your car one time and then drive for the rest of your life. It's a perpetual needing of filling. So God said he'd pour out his spirit. And in the book of Acts, that's, that's the one phrase, I will pour out my spirit. And the book of Acts is filled with this phrase, and then, Peter or whatever name, filled with the spirit. All right, say that with me. Filled with the spirit. So God says he'd pour out. And in the book of Acts, as it unfolds, 
the narrative and different activities happen and people are filled with the Spirit. So God pours and it seems like some are filled, but the way it's mentioned, it seems like maybe some others aren't. I, we don't know. But let me just read a couple of accounts. So in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John have just healed the crippled man. He was a beggar. He was asking for money. Peter said, I don't have any money, but what I have for you, I give to you in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And this is the man got up. Not only did he walk, but he jumped and he leapt and he danced. And then the, the religious leaders are a little bit upset because he did it, Peter did it in the name of Jesus. That's the guy they had just kind of colluded to crucify only months before. So they're a little bit put on the spot there because please don't talk about Jesus. We just put him to death and you think he's resurrected. We don't think. And so please, they weren't upset that, he, that Peter and James healed, Peter and John healed this man. They were upset they did it in the name of Jesus. So they're called before this assembly of the religious leaders, which were also then kind of the political leaders in a sense. They had power. They had power to kill. They killed Jesus. They had power to imprison. They had power to whip and to, and to, and to flog. And they did that later in the book of Acts. So Peter's, they're called before this uh, group of men. And the Bible says, then Peter, comma, filled with the Holy Spirit, said this to them. Well, it's interesting that, why didn't, why didn't the writer just say, then Peter said this. But he said, then Peter, comma, filled with the Holy Spirit, comma, said this to them. So there was something clear that the writer, and most people think the writer of Acts was Luke, we're not for sure. Luke was kind of recounting that because he wanted to highlight there was something now new about Peter. And he says to these leaders, rulers of elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Which ticked the Pharisees off. Let me clearly state to all of you and all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man who you crucified and God raised from the dead. That's pretty bold. These guys who just killed Jesus, Peter could have said, um, yeah, we, we just thought it was nice to do this for this guy. We wanted to heal him. Thanks, have a nice day. But no, it says, Peter said to them, do you want to know how this happened? We healed him in the name of Jesus. He's the guy you crucified, but we did it in his name. Talk about abnormal courage. These guys could have done the same thing to Peter and, Jay, Peter and John and the disciples, and they actually have one of them beheaded later on. So the fact that this comma filled with the Spirit, perhaps Luke is highlighting to us, seems like filled with the Spirit kind of people have abnormal courage. Because Peter was pretty bold. And then when Peter and the other disciples are, are dismissed from the courtroom, they go back to somebody's house, and then they have a prayer meeting. They didn't organize a political rally. They didn't write letters to their congressmen. They didn't complain that their citizens' or rights are being abused. They didn't organize an online petition. They prayed, and then the, here's, here was their prayer. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they preached the word of God with boldness. So there again, that phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit, seems to be, not seems to be, it is, 
mentioned specifically, and it's attached to this idea of boldness and courage. To speak what they know is the life-giving freedom and truth in spite of what was happening. It says the whole place was, they were all filled with the Spirit of Jesus. So it does seem like there's this, there, there's this pouring, filling with the Spirit of Jesus. Acts chapter 6, they have this problem and in the, in the, in the, the church is emerging and they have, there's Greek followers of Jesus and there's Jewish followers of Jesus and there's widows and there's an argument about, well, these widows, the Jewish widows are getting more food than the Greek widows and so like we're going to solve this problem. So they said we're going to find some men who are full of the Spirit to organize and administrate this feeding program so the widows that are Greek and the widows that are Jews are both taken care of equally. But again, it was like, hey, just find some guys who have administrative gifts and organizational skills. That wasn't the the statement. The statement was, we need to find people that are filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom, but filled with the Holy Spirit. And those are the ones we want to administrate. Whether or not they have business skills, whether or not they have a a good-looking resume, where they've learned how to organize a production line or whatever. That wasn't what they were looking for. What they said was, we want men who are filled with the Spirit. And then Stephen was one of those men who was chosen, you may remember. They were called the deacons, who, again, they administrated this program, but it wasn't their administrative gift they were chosen for. It was the fact they were filled with the Spirit. And then if you might remember, Stephen then becomes the first martyr, of the Christian church because he gets in conversation with some other Jewish men who didn't like, who were not really fans of Jesus. They get so angry with him, they start to stone him, like with the intent to kill him, which they do. And again, what the, what I was, here's this phrase again. As Stephen is dying, rocks hitting him, bleeding, whatever, crouching down, crumpling on the street, Acts chapter 7, but Stephen comma, what do you think comes next? Full of the Holy Spirit, comma, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor. <clears throat> he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor, the right hand of God. So here this full of the Holy Spirit is not only what, what kind of power do you have when you're dying, you're being stoned to death, but he's full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven, and he saw something that those of us humans, this side of heaven, probably have not seen. He sees the glory of God, and he actually sees Jesus standing. He sees something. In the invisible realm, we don't know how he saw it, but he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he had some inner direct understanding of seeing God and seeing Jesus. And some people have commented, perhaps Jesus is standing. 